2020 has been a difficult year for many people. And I know that even just saying that, that is a gross understatement. It's been difficult for many reasons. People have suffered financially. People have lost jobs because of this pandemic and the financial downturn in 2020. It's been a difficult year for people because they've suffered illness. They've suffered from COVID-19 themselves and gone through that and had to recover from that. Some going through long hospital stays in order to recover from that. Some have lost their lives because of this pandemic. Some have lost loved ones because of this pandemic. 2020 has been a difficult year. Just this weekend, I received news that a friend and fellow pastor went home to be with the Lord after a very difficult fight with COVID-19. And uh, that is a very uh, tragic event. A young pastor, a husband, a father, and now a wife without a husband, children without a father, a church without a pastor. And it just uh, reminded me of the brevity of life, the uncertainty of life, and the importance of using time wisely, using it the best that we can for the glory of God and for our church, for our families, and to not waste precious time that God has given to us. And in just thinking about uh, the importance of time, I thought about the fact that we're about to turn over a new year. We're about to go into 2021. I know that every single one of us is praying that 2021 is a better year than 2020 has been. Every one of us wishes for that. And my prayer for us, for our church family, for our community, for our country and the world, is that God would pour out his mercies upon us and his blessings on us and bring an end uh, to this pandemic and that we would be able to enjoy God's common grace and goodness in the, the next year. But ultimately, none of us can control what happens next year. Only God is on the throne. God is providentially in control of all things. We read that a little bit earlier in the service from James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, that God is providentially in control of all things. And we can make our plans and we can prepare for tomorrow and the next month and the next year. But ultimately, it is if it's the Lord's will that we accomplish any of those plans. And at the very end of that passage in James chapter 4, verse 17, we read James saying that to the person who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. And I've always understood that verse and I've heard it quoted many times and I've always kind of heard that verse kind of in isolation, away from the context of verses 13 through 16. But when you put it back into the context of verses 13 through 16, it makes even more sense because verses 13 through 16 of James chapter 4 remind us that we are not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed certain opportunities to do good later. And so verse 17 says, when that opportunity arises to do good, 
take that opportunity. Because if we don't take that opportunity, we're presuming upon God. We're in essence violating the wisdom of verses 13 through 16 by presuming that tomorrow will be there and another opportunity and chance to to do good will be there. But James says, no, when that opportunity presents itself, take it. And if you don't, then you're being presumptuous and you're being sinful. And I thought about this passage that we're going to be looking at this morning in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 20. Because in this passage, Paul exhorts us, gives us wisdom and says that we ought to make the most of every opportunity. Some translations have it there, uh, make the best use of time. The King James had redeemed the time because the days are evil. And I've entitled this message Carpe Diem, which is a old Latin phrase that essentially means seize the day. Now, in its uh, philosophical use, this was often in terms of, you know, take the most of every opportunity, but it was often used in the sense of just do what's best for you. Do, make yourself better. Uh, take the most of every opportunity to, to empower yourself. I don't want to use it that way. I want to use it in the sense that Paul encourages us to think about time in Ephesians 5, 15 to 20 and to redeem the time, to make the best use of time, to take every opportunity to do good. And so I want to reflect on this passage with you for a few minutes this morning for two reasons. One, because we're coming up on a new year. And often when we approach a new year, we think about how we've used our time and those opportunities in the previous year. And we think about ways that we can improve ourselves and make better use of our time in the coming year. And so as we think about those things, let's think about what Paul says to us in this passage. But also, I just want us to think about it in terms of not only the turning over a new year in 2021, but just in terms of our lives in general and the fact that our lives are a vapor. They're a vanishing mist. They're here today. They're gone tomorrow. As Isaiah reminds us in Isaiah chapter uh, 40, that uh, our lives are like the grass of the field. They grow up, they flourish, but then they dry up and they're gone. And so just thinking about the brevity of life, thinking about our own mortality, thinking about the fact that nothing is certain and that we cannot control tomorrow. I want us to think about Paul's wisdom in this passage. And so read with me from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. The Apostle Paul says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity or making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the time that we have this morning. 
to look to your holy word and the wisdom that it gives us. Father, I pray that you would help us to reflect on the wisdom of your servant, Paul, and what he teaches us in this passage. Lord, may we reflect on it so as to understand its meaning, but also to have the wisdom from you to apply it to our lives and to take these general principles that Paul gives us and then to make them specific in the actions and the thoughts and the words of our lives. So, Father, may your spirit uh, fill us and may he do his work in our hearts and minds this morning. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Using that phrase, uh, making the most of every opportunity, I want to kind of go from there and look at the context of what Paul is saying in Ephesians 5, 15 through 20, and uh, to see how we, how we might do that. How can we make the most of every opportunity? How can we use our time wisely? And the first thing that Paul shows us in this passage is that we can make the most of our time by seeking to live according to God's wisdom. We can make the most of our time by seeking to live according to God's wisdom. In verse 15, he says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. And this follows what Paul had been saying earlier in chapter five of Ephesians. Earlier in chapter five of Ephesians, Paul encouraged us as Christians to be imitators of God, to walk in the pattern that God has set out for us, and specifically to live as children of the light, not as children of darkness. And Paul then fleshed that out in the opening verses of chapter five and explained that to live as children of light is, means to walk, to live in righteousness to live in the things that God approves of. But to walk in darkness is to live in sin, to live in evil, to live a life doing the things that God does not approve of. Obviously, Paul is writing to Christians. And so he says, we are now children of light. So we have no business living in the darkness. And so he calls us as Christians to live our lives in the light of God's truth, in the light of God's righteousness, and so then following on the heels of that, connecting to that, he says in verse 15, be very careful then how you live, how you walk your walk, how you talk your talk, how you live your life. And he says, not as unwise, but as wise. And to kind of flesh out what Paul means here, you can take what he's been saying in the second half of Ephesians in terms of the practical application of the gospel, the way that we live out the gospel in our Christian lives. And he has given us very specific things that we can look for in our lives to see whether or not we are living according to wisdom or according to folly. And so we can look to God's word to understand whether or not we are living according to God's wisdom or according to the world's foolishness. The book of Proverbs is all about that contrast between the wisdom of God and the folly of the world. 
And so we have a storehouse, a, a treasury, if you will, of God's wisdom in his word. And Proverbs tells us to seek it, to seek it as if it were buried treasure, to seek it more than silver or gold. And we also learn in the book of James that God says that we can ask for wisdom and that if we ask for wisdom, that God will give it to us generously when we ask in faith. And so it's really twofold. How then can we make the most of our time by seeking to live according to God's wisdom? How do we do that? Well, we pray to God that he would bless us with his wisdom, as James says in James chapter one. And if we ask that prayer in faith, God grants us wisdom. But remember, how does God grant wisdom? He doesn't just hand it to us. He doesn't wrap it up in a package and give it to us like a gift on Christmas morning. Oftentimes, the way that God gives us wisdom is through the experiences of life that he brings us through. But then seeking to apply the truths that he has given us in his word in those experiences. And so when we ask God for wisdom, God may bring us into a trial, into a difficulty, into an experience where we need to take the truth that God has given to us, the knowledge, the understanding that God has given us, and then apply that truth and understanding in that specific instance. And so getting God's wisdom is both asking, but also seeking and putting into practice the things that we have learned and memorized and meditated on from scripture. One of the best ways that you can use your time is to spend time in God's word, seeking his wisdom. And then in the everyday moments of our lives, in our experiences, in our interactions with people, in the things that we do, seeking then to take that truth that we have learned and put it into practice. The Hebrew idea of wisdom is literally skill, chokmah. It is the idea of someone who has developed a talent, a skill over a long period of time. And so wisdom is something that we receive from God, but it is also something that is developed over the course of time by putting into practice God's truth in the experiences and circumstances that God's providence brings us into. And so may we make the best use of our time by seeking God's wisdom and seeking to apply it in the situations of life. Paul says we can also make the best use of our time by strenuously opposing evil, by opposing evil. And this really fits into the context of chapter five as well, because earlier in Ephesians five, he said, let's not be children of darkness, let's be children of light which means let's not live in evil, but let's live in righteousness. And now Paul says in verse 16, in this very context of making the most of every opportunity, he says, we ought to do this. We ought to strive to use our time wisely and to treat it as precious, more precious than money, more precious than gold, because we live in evil times. The days are evil. And really, we could say that statement ever since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. That we are living in evil times, in evil days. We live in a world that is suffering under the weight, under the curse 
of sin. Sin is all around us. Sin is seeking to influence us, the world, the flesh, the devil, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life is seeking to make the most of every one of its opportunities. We need to make the use of every one of our opportunities that God gives us to oppose that evil, to oppose those worldly lusts. Because it's all around us, the forces are there, the pressure is there. And if we just go through life on cruise control or in neutral coasting, we, that evil that is around us will influence us, will infect us, and we will not be using our time wisely. We will not be using our days to the glory of God. We will not be carpe diem, seizing the day for the glory of God. We will just allow the world to fill our days with all of its nonsense and waste and evil. It's very interesting, but I was reading in a commentary on Ephesians 5, and they referenced a sermon that Augustine preached. Augustine was one of the early church fathers. This goes back to the early centuries of the Christian church. And in this sermon on Ephesians 5.16, Augustine made a very interesting application of this phrase to make the most of time, to redeem the time. And the application that he made, and he made it very specifically to his church context, is he said, if someone takes you to court, if someone litigates you because they want something from you, Augustine said, just give it to them because it's not worth your time fighting over that thing or over that dollar because your time could be spent more wisely doing the things of God rather than striving and clawing to keep your possessions that you believe belong to you. He says, don't go to litigation. Don't, don't worry if people sue you. Don't go through all the trouble and the hassle and the time and all of the nuisance involved in going through litigation, he says, just give it up and use your time wisely in other pursuits. And he says, also, if you do that, you relieve yourself of all that time of worry and of anxiety and of fretting over this litigation, over how it's going to go, over whether you're going to win or not. He says, just let it go. Let the problems of this world go and spend your time on that which really matters, on that which is eternal. And we can take that one specific application and we can kind of uh, extrapolate from there and, and think about all the things in our lives that are really just a waste. All the things in our lives that really just hinder us and bog us down. As the writer of Hebrews says, the, the weight, these weights that so easily beset us, that entangle us. He says, lay those aside and run the race with patience that God has set before us. So like a runner, we want to be unencumbered with extra weights and extra things that get in the way. So also Paul is saying in living our lives for God, we want our time, our opportunities, our moments to be unencumbered by the things that are trivial, by the things that don't matter, and especially by the things that are clearly evil. Use your time wisely by fighting, striving for good and opposing evil. In Romans, Paul says in chapter 12, cling to that which is good, but abhor that which is evil. 
That is a wise use of time. Paul says, thirdly, in this passage, we can make the most use of our time by seeking to live our lives according to the will of God. In verse 17, he says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. What is God's will? I believe there are essentially two aspects to the will of God. One of them, we are responsible to seek out and to know. And one of them, we can't know unless God chooses to reveal it. There are two aspects to God's will. One of them is the secret, providential, sovereign will of God. This is the certain decree of God that he has determined from eternity past through eternity future. It is what God has determined to do, what God knows he will do, Today, tomorrow, the next day, the following year, the following century, the following millennia. God has a certain decree and he knows it exhaustively, perfectly, intuitively, eternally. He has a sovereign will, but only God knows it. As Deuteronomy says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. We cannot know God's will in that sense of what he's going to do unless he chooses to reveal it as he did oftentimes in the scriptures by special revelation to certain select people in God's program. So God told Moses exactly what he was going to do with Pharaoh. God told David what he was going to do. God told Samuel things that he was going to do. So God revealed certain things, specific things to the prophets, to his servants, Revealing, pulling back the curtain, if you will, on his sovereign, determined will. But outside of that special revelation of God, we cannot know what is going to happen tomorrow. We cannot know what's going to happen next year, but God does. Those are the secret things that belong to the Lord our God. We can't know those things and we can't control those things. So Paul is not telling us here to understand that will because we can't unless God chooses to show us, to reveal it to us. So what does he mean here by the will of God? I I think he means essentially the other aspect of the will of God, which is the part of the will of God that he has revealed. What we might call his uh, moral will or his will of instruction, his will of teaching. It is the Bible. God has revealed what is what he approves of, what his will is in terms of what is right and what is wrong, what pleases him, he has revealed that to us in his word. So in that same context of Deuteronomy, where it says the secret things belong to the Lord our God, in that same context, it says, but these he has given to us. What are the these? The commands of God. The instructions of the Torah, the law of God. God has given these things to us. He's given us the wisdom of his word, so that we might know his truth and then with wisdom, apply it to our lives. And so may we seek the Lord's will, not his unknown will, not the will that we can't know, but only God knows, but let us seek the will and understand the will that he has revealed to us in his word. And that will is very clear, such as in Thessalonians, when he says, this is the will of God that you abstain from fornication. Or this is the will of God that you give thanks for everything in every circumstance. 
the Bible tells us what this will of God is, and so we must seek it and seek to understand it. We can also, Paul says in this passage, make the most of our time by seeking to have our lives controlled by the Holy Spirit rather than by the things of this world. Specifically in verse 18, he makes a contrast between getting drunk on wine, he says, which leads to debauchery, instead be filled with the Spirit. And many commentators have noted this, but essentially Paul is using two controlling substances to controlling, governing, directing substances that are essentially in opposite of each other. And so he says, whereas wine, alcohol is a controlling substance, when you consume it, when you're filled with it, it has a tendency to move you, to direct you in certain ways. And Paul says that path that alcohol directs you toward is sinful. It is debauchery. It is a debauched, depraved, immoral life. That, that leads to all kinds of other sins and foolishness. So Paul says, don't let your life be controlled by that. Well, we could expand upon this principle and say that there are many, many other things in our lives, in this world, that can control us, direct us, and move us down the wrong path. Obviously, there are other controlling substances like drugs, alcohol, drugs. Those are controlling substances that influence our minds, our, our bodies, and direct us to do uh, foolish and immoral actions. But there are other things in our lives too. They're not necessarily substantive, substances that we take into our body, but they're still controlling. For example, money, greed, is a controlling interest that, that drives our lives certain ways. Money is the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. Why? Because when we are greedy, when we love money, it causes us to do other immoral things for the sake of getting more money. Sexual appetite, sexual lust, it is not a substance that we intake like wine or drugs, but it is something that is controlling. It is something that is addicting. It is something that can draw us down a path that leads to other immoral choices and greater and greater sin. The desire for fame, the desire for uh, notoriety, the the desire for accomplishment, the, the desire for comfort and ease in this life, whatever it is, there are certain controlling things that if we allow them to control us, they, they direct us the wrong way in this life. Paul says, don't let your life be controlled by these things in this world. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. In other words, what ought to be directing, moving, controlling, motivating your life is the Holy Spirit of God, which is not an inanimate substance at all, but is actually one of the divine persons of the triune Godhead. The Holy Spirit is the infinite, wise, eternal, immortal God who, according to the scriptures, when we believe in Jesus Christ, comes to indwell us. And so we have the Holy Spirit. How then can we be filled with him if we already have him? And essentially, I believe what Paul is saying here is that more and more progressively in our lives, 
our lives need to be more and more controlled and guided and directed by the Holy Spirit. As he says elsewhere, those who are led by the Spirit of God, guided by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And so Paul is saying your life more and more needs to be controlled and directed by the Holy Spirit of God who dwells within you. How does that happen? Again, it is a matter of prayer, of asking God to fill you with his spirit. It is something that God does through his indwelling spirit in you that he grants you. So there's a sense in which we are passive in this because we are being filled with the Holy Spirit. He is the one doing it. So we ask God for him to fill us and control us and guide us by his spirit. But there's also an active sense in which we can seek this. And I believe that is through the, the de- desire, the effort, the diligence to pursue the fruit that the spirit produces. And so Galatians 5, and 23 says, here are the things that the Holy Spirit of God produces in the life of a child of God. Goodness and peace and gentleness and love and brotherly kindness. These are the things that are the, the outgrowth, if you will, the evidence that someone is filled with the Holy Spirit. And so if we are seeking those things, pursuing those things, it is evidence, more and more increasing evidence that we are growing in filling of the Holy Spirit. That is a good use of time. A good use of your time is seeking how you can be more loving. A good use of your time is seeking how you can be more gentle. A good use of your time is seeking how you can be more self-controlled. How you can be more meek. How you can be more self-abasing and deferential to others. These are the fruit of the spirit that demonstrate that we are being filled and controlled by him. And so make the most of our time by seeking to have our lives controlled by the Holy Spirit rather than by the things of this world. Paul also says in the last couple of verses of this passage, we can make the most of our time by prioritizing the worship of God with the family of God. And The way verse 19 and verse 20 is phrased, it is essentially an outgrowth of being filled with the Spirit. And so in verse 18, when we are filled with the Spirit, it then results in certain things and certain behaviors and actions and attitudes. And one of those that Paul highlights here in Ephesians 5 is worship of God with the family of God. Notice he says that when we are filled with the Spirit, we are speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. So do you see the link between being filled with the Spirit and then speaking, instructing, encouraging one another with these songs, hymns, and psalms? And so one of the outgrowths, one of the effects of being filled with the Spirit is worship singing songs and hymns, praising God. At the end of verse 19, he says, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord. 
That's what it means to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind. Or as Jesus says, to to worship God in spirit and in truth. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so one clear, obvious way to make the best use of your time is to spend time worshiping and praising, giving thanks to God, singing in worship to God because of all that he has done. But I want to point out in verse number 19 that the context of this worship is the gathered family of God. What we are doing right now at this very moment is not natural. This is not what God intended, had in mind for the worship of his assembled church because we're not assembled right now. We're with our individual families. Some of us are by ourselves. We are not together right now. A little earlier in the service, we we were singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, but we were not singing them to each other or with each other. There is a component of the worship of God that cannot fully happen without the gathered family of God, without the assembled people of God. And so I pray that this pandemic will quickly be over. One important reason is so that we can return and resume to normal every week gathering with the family of God. Because while this technology is helpful and can be useful, it is not a replacement or a substitute for coming and gathering with God's people. And so I long for the time when all of us, all of our church family can be together again on a regular basis without uh, this virus getting in the way. And so I pray for that because this is what God desires for us as his people to worship him in spirit and in truth and to do so in community with one another, singing and speaking these hymns and songs to one another and with one another in praise to God. And so I long for that time. What is this passage about? What am I seeking to communicate this morning? That we use our time wisely to use our time to the best of our ability in the moments that God gives us. The most valuable use of our time in this life is to seek God's wisdom and God's will, which will lead us then to righteousness, to righteous living, to being filled with his spirit and to worshiping our God, God-centered worship together with the community of God, the family of God. There are other things in scripture that I could have brought into this message this morning that could teach us and give us insight into how to wisely use our time, how to redeem the time, as Paul says in Ephesians 5. But I just focused on these because these are in the context of that 
admonition to make the most use of our time. And so may we tomorrow, January 1st, 2021, may we resolve, may we determine to redeem the time and to seek God's will, God's wisdom, to, to pursue righteousness and to actively oppose evil in our own hearts and lives, but also the evil that is in the world and to seek the Holy Spirit's guidance and indwelling uh, leadership in our lives so that we might worship our God, so that we might praise him continually and so that we might be an encouragement to one another. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, loving your neighbor as yourself, these are great ways to make the best use of your time. And so may God be glorified in our lives today, in the coming year, always, as we seek to bring him honor through the use of the moments and opportunities that he gives us. Let's bow in prayer. Our Father, we thank you that we've had these moments, these minutes, this opportunity that we've had this morning to look to the wisdom of your word. Father, I pray that day by day, you would teach us more and more of your wisdom. Lord, we ask for it. We seek it. May we go looking for it in your word, in your counsels. Father, may we seek your will to uncover what the scriptures say about what is approved, what is desired by you and your will. And may we seek to apply that to our lives. Father, may we seek to live lives of righteousness, opposing, hating, abhorring evil. Lord, may we be people that are guided by the Spirit into grace and love and mercy and goodness and gentleness and self-control and guided by the Spirit into worship and to praise of you. Lord, bless our church family in this coming year. Help us to walk in your ways and in so doing to bring you honor and glory. And we pray this, Father, in the name of Christ. Amen.